Welcome back to Movie Matchup, The Pretension, the premiere episode. And we're just about ready to get into talking about uh, 13 Assassins. I'm going to go ahead and read a, a, just a quick synopsis. Uh, I'll let you know as a, as a listener, too, more than likely when we talk about these films, we're going to talk about these films in the entirety. Uh, we're assuming that everybody has seen these, and we encourage everybody to write in, and we'll give you some information on how to contact us later. But we don't want to talk around the movie. We want to be able to talk about the movie and dissect it. So we are going to get into some spoiler territory throughout each and every one of our discussions. So um, without further ado, let me jump into this. In 1840s Japan, the heir of the samurai is waning. The sadistic young lord Matsudera Naratsugu rapes and kills at will. No one can touch him because he is the former shogun's son and current shogun's younger brother and thus above the law. Doi Toshitsura, a senior government official, realizes the situation will become more dangerous after Narutsugu ascends to a higher political position. After a wronged partly, excuse me, after a wronged party publicly commits seppuku, a trusted older samurai, Shinzaman, is secretly hired to assassinate Narutsugu. Shinzaman gathers eleven more samurai, including his nephew Shinrokuro and the 12 plan to ambush Natsurugu on his long journey home from Ido. Now, the film is directed by a auteur of Japan, Takashi Miki. And Brad, before we really get into talking about the film, I just I kind of want your thoughts on Takashi Miki. What have you seen a lot of his films? What do you think of him? Um, you know, I I have seen a lot of his newer stuff. Um, Let's see. He did the. Da, 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 da. What was it called? Well, I'll uh, list some. I don't know if the. What was the uh, the uh, the western that he did? Um, is it uh, sh- uh, Sukiyaki Western Django? Yes. Yeah, I saw that. Um, I know why you saw that because Tarantino's in it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also saw. Um, I, I've seen some of his films. I think I've seen The Man in White as well. Um, and uh, audition. Have you seen yes. audition? Yes, audition. Of course, every, I think everyone's seen audition. Uh, is in uh, Ichi the Killer. I've yep. seen that as well. So, I mean, I'm I know who he is. I know his films. So, um, I'm not vast in his filmography, but I do know of him. Um, what do you think? So of? I'm, oh, I, I everything I've seen of his film, I really enjoy. Um, He's got a really cool style. Um, he does action superbly, and his action uh, isn't like this quick cut action. I mean, it's long and it's awesome, and it it's exhausting to watch at times. Mm-hmm. So I, I really dig. He's like the anti-American action uh, director right now because you can actually tell how his action is going to play out, and I I actually dig that a lot more than what we're seeing now with all of our quick cuts and trying to follow action. I mean, we'll get into it, but I mean, literally the last 45 minutes of a 13 assassins is nonstop action. Yeah. Miki's um, an interesting director for me because I have seen a lot of his films. I mean, from um, the dead or alive trilogy, uh, which is sort of a, it's a way out there crime um, 
I, I couldn't even explain it. The, the third one actually takes place in the future and it has cyborgs and everything else. But then you've got sort of his horror movies with audition. Ichi the killer, I guess is kind of a horror movie. He did the uh, masters of horror episode imprint. Um, Zebra man, which is sort of his take on the superhero genre. Um, I want to say Gozu, I think, um, Visitor Q. He, this, this guy has put out a lot of stuff, and I'll say this about Miki. I don't know if I necessarily enjoy everything that he does, but, man, I, I, I sit back and I'm washed in an entirely different world and sort of a different viewing experience. And the guy impresses me because he always keeps me guessing during the film as far as what brings to the table. And... 13 Assassins is kind of unique because I think of all the Takashi Miki films I've seen, this one seems to be the most grounded and linear in terms of filmmaking. I don't, I don't know how you feel about that in yeah, comparison yeah. to some of his other stuff. And some of his other films I've seen, they're kind of, they've got that, that humor to them that I sometimes don't get as someone who's not, sometimes I miss kind of that, contextual humor that he has kind of the black you know the, the dark humor and it, it's hard for me to kind of pick up on that as i'm not in the culture um this this film didn't have maybe maybe it does on another level but at least on the top this one was probably one of his easier films for me to watch and enjoy um it just it, i don't know and it wasn't as there were there is a part of like with rape and stuff, but it's not as sexually perverse either. Um, that, that's true because his movies really kind of they draw a line in the sand and then they pull vote over that line in some cases. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know. And from what I understand a little bit about him, I think he says that his favorite movie is Starship Troopers. So that should kind of tell you <laughs> about the man. I mean, if you've ever seen Starship Troopers and and you know people who will champion that film for being, you know, the greatest thing ever. I, I don't I don't particularly like Starship Troopers that much, but you know that's another show. What, what did you? Uh, so what's your what's your first impressions of Thirteen Assassins? Well, I, I will tell you this: that one of my favorite directors is uh, Kira Kurosawa, and he basically, you know, made the samurai film what it is, and this is basically kind of harpening back to the samurai days, and. I love the slow buildup of the film. Um, it there's you know kind of sprinkles of a little bit of action here and there, and there's some really strong scenes. But for the most part, it's it's kind of got this really slow buildup, and you know that you know there's going to be this thing at the end where they're going to have to finally meet. And I, I actually enjoy kind of the journey that of like kind of recruiting all these guys to to become the 13 assassins and the kind of the, the bond that they start to make, um, you know, you have the uncle and the nephew and kind of seeing them, you know, talk about gambling and all, you can just kind of tell that loyalty in the samurai clan is, is, is such an important thing. And it's, it's, it was nice to see like all this character development and I could kind of, you know, latch onto these characters before they like just went balls through the wall crazy with this last action set piece. So, you know, I grew up on samurai films. I love the slow kind of methodical pace of samurai films. So this one kind of was right in my wheelhouse. 
Yeah, I, I got to say this this movie is extremely impressive. Not just from the simple fact that, like you said, you kind of get this. Um, I don't know, hero's journey uh, of building up these, you know, 13 guys on a mission kind of film. But um, it, this movie has a lot to say. And what's interesting is the movie takes place sort of at, at a time in Japan where the samurai just isn't of use anymore. And you have these gentlemen who have committed to this lifestyle and the loyalty, and they are starting to discover that they don't have a place in society. You know, when when you first meet um, our our sort of main samurai, which is uh, Shinzaman, he's fishing. He's he's sort of living a, a quiet lifestyle, and he has brought um, I don't know this situation to assassinate, you know, uh, a young lord to basically save Japan from kind of going back into a warring era. And this guy, you know, my, one of my favorite scenes of the film is when he learns of what he's going to have to do, he, he just sort of loses himself a little bit and almost gets giddy about what is going to happen and that he may have the ability to kind of uh, live out his life into this code and possibly die. And he's kind of excited about that. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's a good point. Like a lot of these guys probably have never been – I mean, the one guy like kind of didn't even know how to use a sword. You know, it's it's all for decoration, and you kind of have this this contrast of you know some guys are using guns now, and other guys are still using their swords, and some guys are still using you know bow and arrows. So you kind of have this this weird mesh of kind of modern and old feudal Japan in like this one time piece, and and I mean I know guns have been around, but it, I. I mean, they were there for a reason to show kind of the, this this change that's happening. I mean, the samurai really had no no answer to guns as you know as modern weapons. Yeah, and I mean, they they had a lifestyle that again was you know this this code of honor um, and sort of their allegiance to their craft and their lifestyle. It's, it's something that was going away within the new political system and and sort of the culture that was kind of taking place in Japan. So I think the setup on this, this movie has so much tension going on simply because if, if you kind of get into it and know the history of it, um, that adds to, to the level of tension. But the thing that sort of um, is center stage for, for I don't know, Man, I, I let's just get to 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 Lord Naratsugu. Yeah, that guy's a bastard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is. Uh, man, the uh, scene where he basically rapes the woman and then decides to cut off her arms and legs and lets her kind of you know and shows her off is devastating. I mean, you just know how big of a bastard that guy was. And then he's shooting bows and arrows at. Uh, at this family, and I mean, there's the one little kid is the only person who's left, and he doesn't even take any sympathy on on the kid either. And it's, I mean, you you learn to hate this guy pretty quick, and you're like, I hope you get what's coming to you. And it's, you know, you have to hate the bad guys and root for the good guys, and they did a great job in in contrasting who's good and who's bad in this film. Oh yeah, I've I have never 
hated a bad guy as much as I've hated this guy. I mean, they do, you know, Miki does a fantastic job of if there was any question about this guy's lack of morals, um, within the first 15 minutes of the film, I mean, it's, it's out the window. This guy just has no scruples. Um, but I'll say this, what makes him also a very good villain is he establishes sort of his code and what he believes in early on. And you know, that scene you bring up about him shooting the arrows at the family, he explains why he's doing that and the purpose that it serves, um, in terms of making sure that there is a, a division between the classes, um, and that him as a young Lord, you know, he, he shouldn't have to tolerate really any kind of insubordination from anybody. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess those were his, like his, his help, the hired help basically. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he, uh, you know, and though at the end, and I just go, you know, he he tells the people like this battle that they have at the very end is like the most exciting day of his life, and you know he's he's probably not had much excitement because like the era that we're in, there's just not there's no warring, you know, dynasties anymore. That's just not what what Japan is anymore. And he missed out on all those, you know, all the, all the battles that could have been, but he was just on the tail end of it. Yeah. And I mean, he talks about that. He wants to, when he takes control, he wants to take Japan back into the warring era because of how exciting it is to him. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, in a way you, you can never sympathize with him because he is a complete asshole, but, right. you kind of, but it's like, you know, he is a lord of, and he's a samurai, and he wants to, you know, do something. So I guess stirring the pot is the best thing to do. I, you know, I don't know. It, well, what, what did you think about this? Because this is what struck me as odd, and, and I think adds a, a layer of question to everybody in the film. You've got this this lord who does all of these despicable things at the movie that establish him, establishes him as a bad guy, right? And then you've got the... Um, Shinzaman, who is supposed to go and assassinate this guy, right? And one of the early things about Shinzaman, after he learns about, you know, what this guy has done, he goes through that little speech about, oh, I, I never thought that I'd be given the day to kind of live out my code as a samurai. And he's very excited about the possibility of him going to battle and possibly dying. And then you get um, Naratsugu's speech towards the end of the film about how excited he is to be wrapped up in the war what struck me as odd was there are two scenes in this film where your antagonist and protagonist seem very similar. Yeah, I mean, I guess they're both. I mean, to me, death is a scary thing. Um, but, like, I guess if I was a samurai, like, that's, like, the ultimate thing. Like, that's their goal. And that's kind of hard for me to to relate to, but... You know, I didn't live, I don't live by the Samurai Code, but it oh, just don't? seems like, no, I, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately I don't. Um, but it is kind of honorable to see these guys fight for this leader who is a complete, you know, lunatic, and they're still willing to die for him. And you have these other guys who are willing to die to save everyone else from the said guy. You know, it, it's... You have these two different groups just willing to die for both their causes. And 
Well, yeah, N- N- Naratsugu's general, um, Hambai, is an old sparring partner with Shinzaman. Yeah. So yeah. the guy that's charged to protect the young lord is actually the friend of the guy who's kind of assigned to assassinate him. Yeah, and they're, and they're, uh, and I, and, and my, my gripe that I have with their little showdown is it doesn't last very long. Uh, the, when you kind of get to the part where you're like, oh, these old sparring partners are finally going to get together. It's going to be this cool little battle. And the one guy, you know, kind of does some dirty stuff because he knows his environment and, you know, the other guy loses his head. And it's like, I was kind of hoping for, a little bit more of a, of a battle there. And I kind of was saddened that it was, you know, two or three minutes and that was it. Uh, yeah, I guess. Cause there is a big buildup to their showdown because they, they do meet in the beginning and they sort of establish that they're both, they both live by a different code or they're charged with different things and they have to, they have to follow through that. But, you know, one of the things that I think I've come to accept when you watch Japanese samurai films um, and I probably picked this up from watching a lot of the Zatuichi films, you know, even the, the newer one. Um, it, sword, you know, I don't know, sword fights just don't last that long. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're going to, in in a, you know, even in kendo practice or anything of that nature, the idea is, you know, you're going to strike, but it should only take one or two cuts and you're done. Yeah, I guess we've kind of been spoiled by the, I don't know thinking that, you know, a sword battle should last for a long time, but in reality, you know, someone's going to get cut down pretty soon, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, we're, I mean, you and I are both kind of fans of the Hong Kong action films, and they'll have fight scenes that go on 20 minutes, you know, without a cut, and that, that's just not, um, sort of this, this type of action choreography that goes in. Well, let's, let's talk about the last, you know, 45 minutes. I mean, wow. Yeah, yeah. It's exhausting at times. Because there's wave after wave after wave after wave of enemies. And I like how they kind of established that, like, they got to this town first and they're going to set up all these traps and they, you know, they kind of isolate the troops into these kind of corridors and, you know, shoot them down with bows and arrows. It just seemed like they said that there was 200 men, but it felt like there was like a thousand. And it just like, they just get cut down and, you know, it's, they have, what are they, bulls on fire that run through there? It's just. It's yeah, I thought, I thought some of the CG with the bulls on fire was, um, uh, was not of Hollywood standard, no, I, I guess would be the way to say no. it. It was a good concept, but. Yeah, it, it looked cool. It was a cool idea. Um, I don't know, I don't know what purpose they served, really. I mean, besides looking cool, I mean, it was cool. What do you think about people? Because I have heard this about the film, is that they think the finale is is too much. Do you feel that way? Yeah, in a way, I, I will say I think I think it goes on for about ten minutes too long. Really? At the, I just think there's too many of the same scenes where it's like they run into a new place and they fight a bunch of guys, and it just felt like they kind of did that for a long time. And as much as I love the action, it was just like, all right, let, let's let's kind of show something else cool here. Like, let's get to the, uh, 
you know, I like there was this one samurai who was clearly like the badass samurai. Oh who, yeah. You know, and it just seemed like he just kind of fell to the ground and was done. And like after he was gone, I, I was just like, all right, now it's time to kind of wrap this up because he was clearly the badass and his little apprentice that he had, you know, they kind of died together there. And after they were done, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm ready for this to wrap up. Um, that, I, those two had the best, in my opinion, the best scene of the entire film when they lead those guys down the alley and all of a sudden these, these men discover they're in an alley where there's just swords everywhere. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. the guy just says, all right, he tells his apprentice, your job is to kill anybody who gets past me. And then you get this fantastic, I think one of the best action sequences have been filmed in a long time. I mean, it goes in the pantheon of action sequences of him going through and tearing these guys apart and anybody getting by the apprentice sort of picking off. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of wish that they had more screen time together. Cause I, I, I thought that their relationship together could have been so much more. I know. I mean, it's called 13 assassins. So you want to kind of give everyone, but he was clearly the best. And I liked that he was kind of taking this other guy underneath his wing and he was training him and, it was really, really cool to see. I mean, there was times where he had like two swords in his hand and he was just mowing people down. Right. And it was, it was fun to watch. But once he went down, I, I could kind of feel the, the air in the room kind of go out with me just a little bit. Um, until you get to like the, the finale with, you know, the, the two, you know, sparring partners and then the last kind of last boss fight, you know? Right. Well, seeing, I don't know. I, I, I can see how, you know, some people can say, well, you know, you didn't have much action through the, the front or even the middle of the film. And it's so heavy at the end of it. But for me, I thought all of the action sequences had a great pace to them. I didn't think it was too long because just when I thought that I was getting a little tired of seeing some samurai action, I think Miki did a great thing by having the, the 13th person they pick up is this um, kind of wild man, Kiga, I think is yeah, his name. Yeah, he was interesting. Yeah, and it, and it just seemed like every time that they would go from running on the rooftop, shooting the arrows, you get into some you know alley or, or small hut samurai fight, they did – they had the cuts right at the, right at the perfect moment to go to this guy who just fought with anything and everything he could get his hands on. Yeah, he and, was a he was a sling guy, a rock and uh, is that a sling? Is that yeah. what it's called? Yeah, that was that was interesting to see, and he's kind of like this uh, nomad kind of. I don't know how you would describe his character, but was he uh, was he immortal? See, I don't know because the more you read about Thirteen Assassins, and I think he, even Wikipedia, excuse me, picks this up that if you look at his flashback of the woman that he fell in love with and apparently she's by a pond or something eating some type of meat that, um, there is a hint or sort of an illusion that maybe he is a, uh, a yokai, like a, a, a Japanese demon demon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because he, he kind of takes a, what would be considered sort of a mortal wound to the neck, um, during, you know, the fighting, and everybody thinks he's out, but he's one of the survivors. Yeah, I, I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, he takes that, that blade to the neck and he gets cut down and it's just like, and then at the end, he was alive again and all of a sudden I was like, well, what the hell? You know, like, that threw me for more than I was ready to take. And, and though once you say you bring up the fact that he was like eating the, I guess they were, it was like a the, during the flashback he was eating the fetus or whatever that, yeah, he he could be a demon, but he seemed too good to be a demon. Yeah, but, you know, and, and again, I think that comes from like a maybe a, I don't know, a cultural translation problem that uh, you look at 13 assassins and you're thinking you've got 13 warriors kind of going up against 200 men. And there may be an illusion to that the 13th person really isn't human. And, I, you know, I guess it could be could be said that this guy's so tough that that cut he takes on the neck i mean he was so tough he could out outlast that because you almost when when you look at it his character from a traditional standpoint he almost looks like a brigand you know just a nomad or or somebody who's been ousted by his group because he fell in love with the wrong woman but um the more you read about it uh, like i said there, there seems to be a hint that he was something that was sort of otherworldly yeah yeah and uh, doesn't doesn't the the one guy ask him like is if is he moral is he immortal or I mean he does I mean they kind of bring it up in the film like he's even questioning who this guy is because I don't know he's so aloof and stuff too he's just like at the very end he's just kind of skipping along and there's literally hundreds of dead bodies just lying around and he's seems to be perfectly okay with what's going on so. Yeah, that's probably a culture thing. That was the one thing that I was just like, wow, I don't know what is going on there. So that was my one confused <laughs> moment that I had. What, what did you think of the ending, how this how this film ended? You know, I, I was ready for it to uh, – ready for it to end by – because the last thing is so kind of exhausting, and I was just like – worn out i really felt like i was worn out at the end of it so i was just like i don't know specifically like what like what are you talking about like with the ending well i mean you've got you got two survivors you have the the kiga which we don't know what he's at but the nephew um lives yeah uh shinrokuru and you know the the film ends with him saying that he is giving up the life and you've got this scene where he's trying to wipe the blood off his sword, if not even just throw his sword away. And it almost seems like he can't. And he starts to get this smile like he's um, like he's not actually really ready to give it up. Well, that, yeah, he may have experienced what, you know, um, Narutsugu and, uh, uh, you know, Shinzaman had experienced. Yeah. yeah. And I thought that was – I really thought the ending to this film was kind of haunting a little bit. Yeah, and see, and, and honestly, I, I, I don't know if I picked up on that as much as you did. I, I just, you know – though when you say it, I, I do remember that. And it's like, yeah, I uh, definitely can agree with the fact that I think that he thought this – because he did it because basically his uncle was – you know, betting against him and he wanted to prove him wrong. Right. And he finally gets to this, to this point and he thinks, okay, now that it's over, I can, I'm done. And, you know, it's probably kind of addicting. I I, I don't know. I've never 
Sadly, I've never cut a man down with a sword, so I'll have to get back to you on that. <laughs> man, that's not what I read on the internet, or at least that's not what Charlie's told me. Uh oh, yeah. Well, um, final thoughts on Thirteen Assassins. What what would you uh, how'd you sum it up, and you know, would you recommend this? And where does this kind of sit with you in in terms of samurai or action films? I uh, I gotta say, uh, you know, I'm big into uh, character development. That's one of the things that I really enjoy, and this film had a cool lead up to this big battle. Um, basically it's, you can sum it up in there's the, the lead up and then there's the battle. And, um, I felt at times the lead up was kind of a little bit slow and I was just waiting, but I, I think that builds anticipation for the end and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall I, I, really really enjoy this film like i i have this movie on blu-ray and every once in a while i'll put i mean it's, it hasn't been out a really long time and i think i've watched it three or four times um just because i it's such a great a great film i mean it's got a great ending um i mean that that last 40 minutes i mean that's some of the best action you're going to see in a film ever and right it, it's just it's hands down some of the coolest things you'll ever see. So, I mean, when they shut these gates on the, on the guys, I mean, it is just, you're just like, you feel bad for some of those guys because all they are <laughs> is water now. I mean, they're, they're basically just herding cattle and picking them off. And it, it's really, really cool movie. Um, and I, I like samurai films. I've always liked samurai films. I like the samurai code. So this film was right up my alley. So I, I dig it a lot. I'm with you 100%. Um, I I'm, I really love this film. This is probably one of my favorite films that I've seen this year. And uh, I think it is my favorite Takashi Miki film. The movie for me isn't just a great uh, samurai film, but I really enjoy the fact that it's sort of grounded in a particular part of Japan. And there seem to be all these layers that are going through it. I mean, you can watch the film and enjoy it for its action, you can watch the film, and I, I think this is a good case where, you know, a, some people may complain that there's 13 assassins and you don't really get to know them as well before the final battle scene. But I think Miki does a very good job of kind of showing character through action with this film, and you don't see a lot of people try that. Um, but I think it's an ambitious film because it tries to tackle more than just a, an action film, but it comments on, you know, the samurai code, honor, um, violence, you know, war, all of these things are going on and it's not hitting you over the head with it. It's all through these little subtle exchanges. And I, I just think this is a fantastic film. Yeah, definitely. I, I, yeah. I mean, if, if you have not seen this film and you're into any sort of action, I mean, you owe it to yourself to see it now. Like you really do. You're not going to see many films that are as good as this. Um, I haven't talked to you about this before, but if we were going to break down films that we've seen of last year, like this would probably easily be in my top three. And I could argue that it's the best film that I saw last year. Uh, I I would agree with you. I would say, I I don't know how you technically list it because I know it had a limited theatrical run at the beginning of this year and it played festivals, you know, towards the end of last year, but I'm with you. I mean, if, if I were going back just 12 months, you know, from, um, September now till September of 2010, this would probably be in the top five for me. Okay. Yeah. I'm glad we're on the same page then. So, oh, yeah. I didn't want to oversell it, but it, 
you if you're into action at all or into you know samurai films like you're not going to see a better one of modern time easily i mean you're just not oh i agree i, I mean i have a neighbor who um is very hesitant about subtitled films and I begged him to take this, you know, take my copy and watch it. And the next day he came back and said it was one of the best movies he's ever seen. Yeah, yeah. And and I watched it on Blu-ray, the high definition and just everything. I mean, there's these cool scenes with fog and it just, it looks amazing. The feel, the look of the film is amazing too. So. Uh, that That is a great point. I mean, it, I, if you buy this thing for yourself, skip the DVD, get the Blu-ray if you yeah. have that capability. Well, um, let's take another quick break, and when we come back, we are going to talk about the Sam Peckinpah masterpiece, uh, 1969, I believe, The Wild Bunch. Well, welcome back to the movie matchup, The Pretension, and Troy and Brad here. We just got done talking about Takashi Miki's 13 Assassins, and now we're going to probably tackle um, one of the, what is considered influential greatest i don't know how would you label it brad i mean it's uh, i would say influential influential uh, would, yeah um yeah we'll we'll get into my thoughts when we get into the film but we'll, okay we'll, okay well I'll, I'll start with a quick synopsis so after a failed payroll robbery the outlaw bunch led by aging pike bishop played by william holden and including dutch played by ernest borgnine angel played by jamie sanchez and Lyle and Tector Gorch, played by Warren Oates and Ben Johnson, head for Mexico pursued by the gang of Pike's friend-turned-nemesis, Deke Thornton, played by Robert Ryan. Ultimately caught between the corruption of railroad fat Cat Harrigan and Federale General Mapache, and without a frontier for escape, the bunch opts for a final Pyrrhic victory, striding purposefully to confront Mapache and avenge their friend, Angel. Um, I wanted to read you something real quick. There's a book out if you're a Sam Peckinpah fan, and it's called If They Move, Kill Him, The Life and Times of Sam Peckinpah. It's done by David Weddle. But the very first page talks about one of the premier showings of The Wild Bunch. So I, I just want to read this because I, I think this is kind of funny. <clears throat> On May 1st, 1969, a thousand people filled into the Royal Theater in Kansas City to see what the Warner Brothers Publicity Department had advertised as the first in the world public showing of one of the year's biggest movies. So I'm going to skip a little bit because what he talks about is he talks about the in intro of the film, which is the wild bunch walking into this town and uh, trying to rob um, basically a, um, uh, what, what was it, like a railroad bank type deal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they call it like a payroll bank. Yeah, it's, so, it's like a railroad office payroll yeah. bank type deal. So um, as that scene plays out, 30 people bolted up the aisle and out of the theater, some to vomit in the adjoining alley, but most remained pinned to their seats, horrified yet transfixed. I saw the picture with one eye at times from behind arms and fingers spread in fright, Phyllis Giles, a woman in her early 20s, recalled afterward. But I must admit, I was excited, repulsed, and at the same time drawn to what I'd saw on the screen. Now, after the film's over, I'll fast forward a little bit. Um, the movie's over, and it says, In the lobby, a man vented his outrage on the bewildered theater manager while an, enormous, while an enormously obese woman screamed into a payphone, Get down here and bring the church sisters with you. We're going <laughs> to run these people out of town on a rail. Only a madman could call this creation one livid patron scribbled furiously on the reaction card that the clammy palm publicity man from Warner Brothers had handed out. 
It's not art. It's not cinema. It's pure waste and insanity. You ought to be shot for making it, several other outraged pacifists wrote. Up near the very top of the cavernous theater, next to the projection booth door, the madman who'd made the movie, Sam Peckinpah, stood quietly observing the chaos. Beside him, the film's editor, Lou Lombardo, paled at boos and hisses rising up from the ocean of people beneath him. He leaned close to Peckinpah's ear and whispered urgently, Sam, we've got to get out of here. They're getting ready to kick the shit out of us. So the first chapter of this book really talks about the reaction, the public reaction that people had to this film. And it even goes on to talk about uh, when this film had debuted at Cannes and what the critics had said. And it, it really it polarized everybody. Uh, there were some people like Roger Ebert at the time who you know, kind of hailed it as this is a groundbreaking cinematic masterpiece. And you would have others on you know, the other side of the fence saying that this is just total garbage and it's proof that our, our whole society is just falling apart. Um, what do you know about Sam Peckinpah, Brad? I mean um, – I, I enjoy most of Sam Peckinpah's films. Um, the Getaway is my favorite by far. Um, that's the one with Adam Baldwin, Kim Basinger? Is that – Yes. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. like – that's kind of like <laughs> his, his most famous um, – no, that's got – yeah, and it's got Steve McQueen. Steve actually, McQueen. Oh yeah, I'm talking about the Johnson there. and yeah, yeah. Ali McGraw. Yep. Um, and you know, I also, I, you know, Sam Peckinpah is kind of I don't know. I like Straw Dogs and The Killer Elite, but like he's kind I don't know. I just and with this film, I'll get into it too. I just. I don't see what the, all the big fuss is about. Like we always talk about the violence in this film, but you look back on it now in 2011 and it's like PG 13. Well, violence, 1969. Yeah. You I, I, in context. I, I understand that, but it's like, it's, it's hard to look back on a film and it's so controversial. And then you look back on it now and it's like, you can show that stuff on TV now, like, and you can get away with a lot worse. So you think so. Uh, I mean, I really didn't see anything. I mean, maybe the torture scene. I mean, I don't know. With Angel, like, dragging him behind the car and doing some stuff. But Well, what what about um, – I mean, one of the things that pop out uh, for me with Sam Peckinpah is uh, before that time, he was, he was sort of the first to kind of bring slow motion into action sequences. Yeah, and, and I will say there's some – like, the slow motion in this film um, – there are some shots that are really cool, and then other times it's just like I feel like he's putting in slow motion because he knows how to use slow motion, and I uh -huh. felt like maybe it was getting a little bit too much. But you know, Peggy Paul is is considered one of the best in of an American of a American filmmakers, and I'm not going to take that away from him. Um, he likes violence and he likes action, and I should really get on top of that because I like both of those things, but I don't know. I just have never been able to attach myself to a Peck and Paul film and really, really love it like I should. Well, um, if, if you haven't guessed, I own a, a book about Sam Peck and Paul. I own, I own a couple of books about Sam Peck and Paul. Uh, I, I love Sam Peck and Paul. He is um, top five director for me. And he he hasn't done probably you know take somebody like Alfred Hitchcock the the guy's done so many films so many quality films and Sam Sam Peckinpah's output hasn't been that um, numerous 
but I think I, I really like, you know, the getaway, Steve McQueen. I love Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Um, Straw Dogs with Dustin Hoffman is fantastic. I'm curious what they do with the remake. Uh, you know, even something as kind of throwaway like the Osterman weekend that I did, I think, which, with, uh, Rudger Hauer, um, yeah. has some, has some good moments with it, but I'm, I'm a through and through Sam Peckinball film fan. Uh, the Wild Bunch is in my top 10 films of all time. Really? Yes. <sighs> okay. Um, and you, you know, I want to bring up something real quick. You said that this film seems kind of tame in today's standards. Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> How many films recently have you seen kids killing and kids being killed and women being killed and just an absolute disregard for anybody? Okay, yeah, the the kid thing, yeah, I, I, I yeah, you're you're totally right. That that kind of slipped my mind, and and the kid thing is, is weirdly played in this movie because like, you see the kids at the beginning and they're like, killing these scorpions because they have them like in this ant pit and it's just really weird. And then at the end of the film, spoiler, like a kid shoots um, what's his name, and it's like Pike. Yeah, they. Like the kids, I don't, I don't know what he's trying to say. Um, no, that's a, that's a good point because you've and, got you've got the kids who are torturing these scorpions, and then they burn them. Uh, after the the railroad, the payroll, um, the initial kind of blowout, then you've got the kids running out into the street right after they see all this violence. And they've witnessed this entire massacre, and then they start sort of playing, playing reenacting the stuff, yeah. yeah. And then you've got um, uh, all these kids who, you know, uh, the the one kid as as Mapachi is kind of losing that one battle, and he's having to get his uh, uh, his men back. That one little boy runs up to him and is is looking up to him, and then at the end of the film, you know, children, you know, a kid ultimately kills. One of one of the main characters. Yeah, yeah, and and one of the kind of the main themes of of both of these films is kind of the what is was once old is now getting left behind. Like there's cars in this film, you know. There's the first World War in this film. Yeah, and, you got you got cowboys with forty fives, man. Yeah, yeah, and so it's like the out with the old, in with the new, and and these guys are kind of in limbo, but like. I don't know, and this is going to sound really stupid, and I know it's going to, but, like, I feel like a film, like, and again, I know this is going to, but, like, Young Guns, like, has more violence than this film does. Like, I don't know, is that just me thinking wrong? But I just feel like... Well, let me put it this way. I, would you... I can see where that comment's coming from, because if I look at Young Guns, I think Young Guns has more action, but I don't know if it has more violence. And maybe it's more, like, Man on man violence. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, because yeah, the the one woman just gets blatantly gets shot because Angel doesn't like the fact that she's hanging on another guy, so he just shoots her. You know, um, you know, and and this is this is the main problem that I have with this film is like I never could get with these guys like there's this group of guys and they they're really loyal and they're all you know in it to win it together 
but this this film to me just boils down to three basic scenes. It's the first part, the train part, and the end, and that's it. And that's all really you need to watch. Oh man, I I disagree totally, one hundred percent. And and uh, simply because I think if you're looking at it from action set pieces, yeah, you're right. You've got the intro, which is extremely bloody when the bounty hunters try and um, uh, I don't know, you know, take them by surprise. And there's a whole massacre in that town. Uh, then you've got the train sequence with the bridge blowing up, which I think is a fantastic sequence. It's very tense in, in how it builds up. And then you have the big finale. But the stuff that's going on in between those add to the characters. And, you know, we just got done talking about 13 Assassins. That One of the unique things about that film is you have sort of the death of the samurai within the, in the um, Japanese culture, right? Yeah. I think this film is very similar to that in that you've got you've got progression coming, you know, you you've got society coming into sort of an industrial age, and um, you got the you got the machine gun, which no one like understands how to use. Right, but you you have the death of the cowboy to a certain yeah. extent with this yeah. film, and and uh, you know I think these are great movies to match up because they have a lot of similar things going through it because you've got the samurai who are dealing with their code, and you have these cowboys who are dealing with their own code. I mean, I think, um, you know, a couple of quotes that pop out that sound very samurai-ish, and, and, you know, I don't know what you think of this, but, you know, one of them says, you side with a man, you stay with him. And then the other one was, you know, he gave his word. That's not what counts. It's who you give it to. Yeah. And to me, hearing that out of those characters sounds like a samurai film. And it does. And, and, and one of the things that I I have a hard time getting across is I've just never been able to latch on to Western films. And I, I don't know what it is about them. I don't know if it's the aesthetic or what it is, but Western is just something that I, can, I just never can get behind. I mean, yes, there's, you know, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly and some of them, but for the most part, I just... I just get so bored. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, man. Westerns have not been like my favorite, uh, genre to dip into. But when we talked, um, Cowboys and Aliens versus Jonah Hex and Fozzie Bear was on that show, he brought up a good point that, um, Westerns aren't necessarily a genre as much as they are a time period in a setting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you can take all of these stories and set them in a Western but the Western is just the environment. And to me, I guess, you know, I'm with you. I grew up on samurai films. I loved, you know, that type of culture. And I never liked Westerns, but I loved The Wild Bunch. And I think one of the reasons why I liked The Wild Bunch was it was the first movie to kind of hit in that uh, environment that almost felt like a samurai film. Yeah, and, and it should. Like, the guys, you know, they're loyal. They live by this code. There's this, you know... <sighs> And I, and and I understand, and I see all the writings on the wall. Like, this is basically a samurai film for a Western audience. And even with that, it's like I just still, and was just like I had to watch this film in like two settings. Like, oh once, my goodness, that's once, blasphemy! I, we cannot do another episode with that. Well, <laughs> once you know, once I got to the train thing, after the train, I was like, all right, I'm done. I'll have to come back and watch the end of it because it's just like, 
I just can't, I can't do it. I don't, I, and I don't know why. Like, it just, this movie just never clicked with me. And I know it should, and I know it's a classic, and I feel terrible. You know, my, my cred is like completely gone after the first episode, but, you know, <laughs> I just, I just can't, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't care about the guys. I thought Deke and his group of people were totally inept of doing anything. Like, I don't know. I just, yeah, the, you know, he had he has a group of guys following him that doesn't have a code. You know, Deke understands the code, and you know, he rode with Pike, so they're they're the, you know very much the same man, which obviously does make his job hard because he's he's got to go chase this guy down. But the men that are following him don't have any inkling or understanding what they're up against, and much less don't. I mean, they are inept because you know they're. They're they're savages to a certain extent. Not that you know Pike and and everybody else are you know uh, I don't know a, a step above savages. They're, they're very cruel men, but I think it's that code that you get behind to a certain extent as a viewer. Yeah, I, and I, look, I, I'm really sorry. I know this is like one of your favorite films, and if I you know I don't want to be. I, I know that it's probably my fault for not liking this movie. No, 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 no. I mean, I, I think you're right that the Westerns have always been, be it a genre, environment, whatever, that is a huge – my wife does not like Westerns. You know, she'll watch 13 Assassins. She'll watch all of this other stuff. But I think there is something about Westerns that's very guy-centric. And I'm not saying, you know, you're less manly for not liking Westerns because yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not a total fan of them. Um, you know, there's only a handful of John Wayne films that I, I truly enjoy. Um, but I, I, I do think that general populace Westerns are just something, I don't know. It feels it. I can see where some people can come back and say, watching a Western is like going back to history class to a certain extent. And it's boring. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I, more, I'm more of a forward thinker. I don't look on the past, so. <laughs> but you know, I, I, I don't know. I've just, I've, I've watched this film. I don't know how many times it was re-released. I want to say back in 94 with some additional footage. Yeah. Um, and I got to see it in the theater and, uh, you've got to agree with me on this, that there are scenes in the wild bunch, especially the iconic four guys walking down the street with that music playing. Yeah. I think that, um, that sequence is some of the most iconic sequences in cinema history. Yeah. And, and, and look, I'm not denying the, the impact that this film had. Like this is like the, probably the second or third time I've seen this movie. And like, like we talked about earlier, you can see the fingerprints of this film all over modern cinema. Um, and there are, there are moments in the film where, you know, even with some over, use slow motion that there's some the use of slow motion that is absolutely stunning you know it 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 just yeah and i, I think I don't that, know, there's just something about slow motion and when people hit the dirt and it you know it just kind of it's got it just feels more impactful that way oh i agree i i think the climax is one of the most exciting action scenes in film history i think the editing use of slow motion and sort of the overall style it's been duplicated, uh, or I should say it's never been duplicated, in my opinion. A lot of people will imitate it, but I don't think that they have ever been able to duplicate what Sam Peckinpah did with that. Because, you know, you were talking sort of at the beginning of the podcast that 
um, you know, 13 Assassins or some of those films have a different feel to what modern action films are today. You know, the Michael Bay quick cut, jittery camera, stuff like that. And even when people try to play out action sequences and maybe um, take from Sam Peckinpah, like somebody like John Woo, I still don't think they hit what Sam Peckinpah can do because Peckinpah used slow motion to the best that film had it to offer, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's something about shooting on old film, too, that you just can't replicate. So that might have something to do with it as well. Yeah, and uh, I'm... Of all of the Blu-rays that I own of older films, I love this Blu-ray. I think it looks fantastic. I mean, it's 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 got the right amount of grain in the picture. Um, it looks crisp, and uh, again, you've got the the climax or the the explosion on the bridge. And I don't know. There's just so many things that almost seem like postcard moments where you could freeze frame, hang that on your wall, and it just looks gorgeous. Like Peck and Paws almost painting with his camera. In some instances, especially, you know, this landscape that's being modernized. I, I just find all that stuff very fascinating. Yeah, and, and, and look, I will agree. Like, Peckinpah, I've always, like, I'm not um, a guy who who can pick out, oh, this film, this shot was framed this way and this way, and there's a long shot here and a dolly shot here and all this stuff. That's not how I watch films, but I can appreciate when I see something that is really cool, I know like, wow, that's really cool. And there are some shots in all of his films where I'm, that I've seen that I'm like, wow, like this guy was so ahead of the curve on a lot of these things that I can appreciate it as a film person, but it doesn't mean I like the film, you know, like I no, like the way I'd... some cars look, but I would never drive them. I, and I, I think that's a valid point. I mean, because there's, there's a lot of people that I've shown the Wild Bunch to, and they're just like, meh, it was all right. And, uh, but again, for me, I, this one is probably my favorite Western. And, but I don't have a whole lot of favorite Westerns. But again, <laughs> um, you know, we, we talked about, you know, what movie, uh, or what countries were kind of behind the times on. I certain, I've seen the Sergio Leone spaghetti Westerns maybe a couple of other Italian Westerns, but I'm curious to get into that. I mean, I, yeah. I think I've seen Django and, and that's, and I know there's tons of sequels to that over there. And I'm curious to explore those with Tarantino kind of getting ready to put his spin on yeah. Western films. I'm sure, I'm sure once Tarantino releases a Western, I'm going to be like, Oh, I love Westerns. You know, <laughs> you know it's going to happen. So we'll, we'll go back and play this and, and, you know, I'll have to eat my words, but, and, and I'm not going to base anything on this, but I do find it very interesting that this film is a 97 on Rotten Tomatoes. Do with that what you will. It's a 97, and that seems awfully high for a, a film like this. See, I don't think it's high enough. Really? <laughs> I think it should be 100. <laughs> I mean, that's that's 450 critics um, doing this film, and, you know... I appreciate this film and I appreciate Peck and Paul, but like to me, he's not a Stanley Kubrick. He's not a Quentin Tarantino. He's, you know, there's just, there's just other people that I appreciate way more than him. And I appreciate genres way more than Westerns. And you're right. Like Western may not be a genre. It's just like a, a location, but I don't like that location <laughs> <laughs> either way. 
No, that, that's perfectly fine. And, you know, I'm hoping through the course of this that we do come across um, Westerns again, but maybe Westerns from different countries just to see what we think of those. I mean, I I think if we do pick a Western again, I, I want to do an Italian Western. Oh, yes. Yeah. And that, I'm, I'm sure that uh, I might have a different feel on that because Italian Westerns are much different than American Westerns. So, yeah. Well, um, any final thoughts on the Wild Bunch? I know it's it's kind of blasphemy, but I don't really care for it that much. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, well, I, I you know I think I've I've sung enough of its praises. It's one of my favorite films of all time. I think it is uh, a masterpiece. It's not a near masterpiece. I think it's a masterpiece. Um, I think that ninety-seven percent is for Rotten Tomatoes is extremely accurate. And um, I would really encourage everybody to see this film. I, I, I think it's extremely important. If you haven't watched it, you need to sit down and watch it because you will kind of see the, I don't know, a, a sort of a evolution. You'll see where action movies, the modern day action films kind of really come from this film specifically. Uh, well, Brad, I, I guess it's time to do the uh, the matchup portion and, and see how 13 Assassins goes up against the Wild Bunch, little East versus West. I got a feeling I know where you're going to cast your vote. Okay. Well, we'll so, do you want to start off first because mine's less dramatic, or do you want me to go first and kind of let the dramatic, uh, you know, let the drama increase as I'm talking? No, go ahead. Okay. I, all, you, it's all you, man. Go for okay. it. Um, okay. Well, I know that I should like the Wild Bunch way more than I do. It's one of the better is 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 one of the better movies I've seen um, few years um, few years. Um, I find it way more interesting. Um, um, I, I find the the men involved on both sides being, and and I just they're both you know they're. Both of these films can kind of be classified by iconic. They're iconic set pieces. Um, Assassins only has one, has one, but it's 45 minutes, and it's. So I'm going to go with 13. So I'm going to go with 13 Assassins. Uh, hands down, um, it would be a uh, first round knockout for me. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> um, I say the first time, should many times, like you have watched it many times. You have watched it many times. I had this instant reaction that I thought that this was my favorite kind of men on a mission film. I thought it was one of my favorite um, action films I've seen. And it recall and it recalled as soon as I was done with it, I want to go back and go, man, I, I want to go back and watch the wild bunch again, because in the back of my head, I'm sitting there thinking that, you know, has Takashi Miki that is just as good is just as good wild as the wild bunch and has also um, maybe dethroned it in, I went back and watched the I went back and watched the Wild Bunch, and I got to tell you, I went back and the these. I think the the thing that these two films they're both at well is they're both they're they're both so ambitious. They don't just deal with story with characters. They deal with um, commentary on just about on just about on just about on you know the death of the samurai cowboy culture, the death of the cowboy culture. But they deal with war, violence. You know they have character. You know they have characters that are. I think you get behind them. I think you get behind them. Get behind them. And uh, I think though I think the Wild Bunch slightly, slightly at third out 
13 Assassins because of, because of um, Sam Peckinpah's direction of that film. Takashi Miki does a fantastic job to that 45 minutes, 35 minutes, but I think Sam Peckinpah film with those film with those three set pieces in the beginning, the middle and the end and what goes on in between the better I think is just an experience. Um, and um, I find of the climax of the Wild Bond shorter, while it's shorter, um, I don't know, it, it really gets me. And while Society Assassins is exciting, it doesn't have as much emotional punch as the ending to the Wild Bunch does for me. So my opinion, it would my opinion in, into the decision, into the decision. <laughs> They're okay. so close. Okay. Be a non- and it would not be a knockout in my opinion. Would, but I would I would put Wild Bunch over Thirteen Assassins by a mark. But by a mark. Okay. Well, look, okay. Well, look, and I and I. This is our. You know, this is our. This is called the pretend wild bun, and I don't like the wild bun, and I don't like the wild bun, and I don't like the wild bun. So maybe it's time for me to leave. And <laughs> no, no, no. Else, but no, no, no. This is fantastic. I mean, this would be boring if you if you and I would just go back and forth on the wild bunch and just oh, this is. I mean, yeah. the film ever. I mean, yeah. people, people want to hear yeah. opinion. Yeah, I'm going. I know, hopefully, you know, hopefully over the the, the lifespan of our show, I, I will learn to um, appreciate appreciate or I know we'll, we'll probably I know we'll, we'll probably know we'll, we'll probably get away from westerns for a little bit and do different kind of genres. But uh, you know, when we come back around, maybe we'll we'll figure out one. I don't know, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to find a good entry point and see if maybe we can both kind of come around on the whole. Western as a whole, because maybe they just don't translate anymore, cinema anymore. As a po- whole, you know. possibly, I mean, people get excited. A lot of people get excited, you know, when True Grit came out, or and to me, I just don't get excited about westerns. No, um, and, I, and, to, and to be honest with you, I, I didn't see what the, all the fuss about with True Grit was. Uh, it was, I, I think the fuss was, you know, Jeff Bridges, rightly yeah. so, and you know, even Matt Damon and stuff like that, and. uh um, I, I don't know, but I, I'm with you. I, I think we need to revisit the genre, probably from a different country or different angle. And um, you know, what, was it Jordiowski's Holy Mountain or El Topo or something? Like that? Maybe go yeah. really crazy. Yeah, go go nuts. But we'll we'll see. Um, well, this is going to be a little bit different than the regular movie matchup because um, the regular movie matchup. Um, Charlie and I go back and forth assigning each other homework. What's going to be unique about this is Brad and I get to choose whatever film we want to talk about. Yeah. It could be something in the theaters. It could be something, you know, from 1940. Uh, and it doesn't have to be, you know, foreign. We could, you know, deal with both American films. But um, I think uh, for next week, you and I have sort of picked um, a country and even a group of films that are probably within our wheelhouse. You want to uh, tell everybody what those are? Yes. Um, the first film we we're going to do is uh, True Legend, um, which is coming out um, so next week. No, it came out today. Oh, it came out today. Okay. Yeah, yep. I'm sorry. Came out today, um, and we are matching that up with um, Bodyguards and Assassins. Is that yes. what we talk? Bodyguards and Assassins. So, um, yeah. Um, these are both from are they Hong Kong films? Both they're out both, of Hong Kong. Yeah, they're both out of Hong Kong. I I I think this is going to be interesting because when you talk about um, Asian film right now, I think Korea is all the rage. You know, with films like uh, Man from Nowhere and I Saw the Devil and 
um, city violence. I mean, there, there's some, there's a lot of great stuff coming out of Korea. Whereas back in, you know, the eighties, early nineties, Hong Kong was, was the number one source for action films. Yeah. And, um, true legend is a young, young, Wo ping film, young, ping, and it has Michelle Yeoh in it. Um, and then you've got bodyguards and assassins, which stars Donnie Yen. And that film in particular kind of swept a lot of the Hong Kong Film Awards the year it came out. But they both have been released within the last 30 days here in the States. I mean, I, I was shocked. I walked into Walmart the other day doing grocery shopping um, and saw Bodyguards and Assassins, you know, for sale there. In a oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it just blew my mind. And um, I'd be curious to see if True Legend is there today. So, yeah, I. The uh, True Legend box art is very Grindhouse-esque. Like, I was just looking at it. It's very... It looks like a Grindhouse-type film of old-school, like, kung fu kind of... You know, have you have you seen it? No, I have I mean, I I had the chance to get, I think, the, the Hong Kong Blu-ray, but um, I wanted to... Or a, a Region 3 DVD, excuse me. Oh. But I wanted to sit uh, on that because I knew they were releasing a Blu-ray version this year in the States. But it's it's probably one of my most anticipated films, you know, that I've been wanting to see outside of like Thirteen Assassins and some others. True Legend. I mean, Yen Wuping to me is is one of the best um, action directors out there. Um, and I'm curious about Bodyguards and Assassins. Uh, you know, Jackie is my favorite, um, but Donnie Yen's Donnie Yen's in there too. I really like what he's been doing lately, especially with the Ip Man series. Yeah, yeah, I, I will. I will give you that. That that series is amazing, simply amazing. So yeah, I, I'm excited for both of them. To be honest with you, um, True Legend is something that was kind of on my radar, and I, I kind of forgot about it, sadly. And now that we're doing this, like it gives me a reason to to make sure I watch it and make sure I and you know study it and and really get into it. So I, I'm I'm glad that. We're doing this because it keeps me on my foreign game too. It, it makes makes me keep my uh, my ear to the ground, so I, I know what's going on. I'm with you, man. Well, um, if you have any thoughts about uh, Thirteen Assassins or The Wild Bunch, please send your feedback and your comments to moviematchup at gmail.com. We'd be happy to read them on the show. Uh, if you have any thoughts about True Legend or Bodyguards and Assassins and you've seen those films and you want to kind of throw your two cents in, again, send, send those emails to the same place. Uh, I got to tell you, one of the best things that you can do for, like, um, I don't know, the hub for Geek Central is click on reboundradio.com. You want to talk about that website a little bit, Brad? Yeah, um, that is the website that you and I um, currently uh, write for and help run. Um at its very core, Rebound Radio is a podcast network. Um, we have almost ten shows now, um, so we're and we're always kind of looking for more. Um, we also have reviews, and Troy is kind of our go-to. Troy and Charlie are kind of our go-to people when it comes to feature film reviews, and um, Troy also has a blog called Rumble in the Blog, and I also have one. It's in Glorious Blog, and Mine is basically dedicated to keeping people updated on what's coming up on the site and all, all this stuff. And, um, yeah, we have, you know, some pretty cool stuff. You know, every once in a while we have some cool interviews up. And, yeah, we're always growing. Um, you know, 
we're we're always looking to uh, improve things, and um, I'm really happy with the the group of people that we have on our show and on our um, on our network. And yeah, like I said earlier, like you know, we also have a lot of cool people that that support our show that are outside of our of our um, of our website. So you know, that's also another cool thing. You know, we have kind of a group of friends that we always turn to and say, Hey, do you want to come do our show? And, you know, it's nice to have other people come on and kind of throw their two cents in and let you know that they're out there as well. But always, always check out rebound radio, um, for reviews, um, trailers, and of course all of our awesome podcasts. Yeah. It's, it's a fantastic website and it's fun that, um, watching it from even, you know, something as early as May, sort of the beginning of the summer is what it is now. Uh, man, it's grown leaps and bounds and it, and it's not slowing down. So I'm kind of excited about that too. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, you know, I'm kind of behind the, the curtain on a lot of stuff. So I get to see how much data we are, you know, people are pulling from our site, you know, downloading all of our shows. And it's like every month, man, we just like kill the numbers before. And, you know, we have, you know, it, it's kind of cool to kind of see traffic and everything, increase as you as you go because you you know you obviously want to grow month after month and and the the level that we've been growing is is you know frightening at times it's like oh well people are actually out there listening they are actually out there reading stuff so oh, the, I, I gotta tell you the every, you know reverend scott i mean he yes. does a fantastic segment on a, a just a fantastic podcast too outside the cinema um which, you know, please listen to that one too. But the other day I was listening to that and Reverend Scott was playing bits for his segment from the podcast podcast where Charlie and I were on. And, um, again, listening to other, uh, podcasts, I'm hearing rebound radio come up a lot and, um, especially, uh, good day, sir. And uh, movie matchup. So that, that's kind of fun to know that we do have this core outside group of friends that, is helping us promote our stuff, but it, you know, I'm telling you right now, we're going to get Reverend Scott on one of the films that we do for the pretension. Cause the guy is uh, a comic genius and, um, he's, he is a, you know, the guy knows so much about just odd movies like final destination franchise. He is the guru of all yeah, things. Final I, I, destination. Heard, I heard that breakdown and I, I, I honestly, uh, had no idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he'll surprise you. It just all of a sudden, this you know movie or franchise or genre will come up, and the guy will just floor you with all this information. So it's uh, uh, hopefully we can kind of talk him into making an, a guest appearance or sending some feedback in. But um, follow us on Twitter too. Uh, I'm at um, at Yen Chan Troy, and you want to give your uh, Twitter? Yeah, ID I'm, uh, I'm at uh, Inglorious Brad, and uh, Rebound Radio is also on. Um, Twitter that's at Rebound Radio. So I always retweet like when you know um, people in our network post new shows or say something funny. So yeah, make sure you're following that and uh, you know head over to Rebound Radio um, as much as you can. Be a part of the community. Um, we're going to be coming up with some pretty cool ideas here soon. So hopefully we'll have some other cool stuff coming up. I can't really say anything right now but you know we're always tinkering behind the curtain and uh we're always you know trying to make things easier um on the listener like uh 
We're working with Stitcher right now to have all of our shows um, on Stitcher under the Rebound Radio name. So if you search Rebound Radio on Stitcher, you'll be able to find all the shows that are on Rebound Radio. So we're, we're working on that. And, you know, every every day we're trying to uh, get bigger and, and, and grow our community. And, and it's it's a fun time right now. I have to admit that, you know, if you would have told me this is where we would be in six months, I would have I would have taken it in a heartbeat. So, yeah, it's it's uh, this has been a blast, man. Um, well, Brad, you know, for right now, we got to say our goodbyes and go watch some uh, Chopsucky cinema here. I'm all excited about True Legend and Bodyguards and Assassins. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm super excited that we had, a, you know, finally sat down and talked about 13 Assassins and um, the Wild Bunch. Yeah, so. we, we've this is the first episode has been in the works for quite a bit. So I'm glad we were finally able to and we have our time nailed down, you and I. So um, we're going to try to do weekly. I mean, you know, it might oh, we, not always. We'll, we'll do good. I, I yeah. think you and I are organized yeah. enough. We got it down. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, um, thank you so much for everybody listening. Again, send all your comments, feedback, thoughts to moviematchup at gmail.com. If you have any film suggestions you want us to tackle, we're, we're up for that too. I'm up to uh, learn a little bit more about any type of genre or cinema. And, um, man, I got to thank you, Brad, for doing this endeavor with me. Oh, uh, this is, this hey, is you're not twisting my arm, buddy, so I'm, all, <laughs> I'm, I'm here with you. All right, well, we are going to sign off, and again, hope everybody uh, has a great, great evening, afternoon, whenever you're listening to this. Come back for more next week when we tackle True Legend and Bodyguards and Assassins. Uh, Bye-bye. See you later.